Bitcoin has the potential to help uh, with these progressive ideas. But, you know, in order for that to be successful, it doesn't mean that like all of the libertarian or conservative ideas have to be wrong. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And this was a very special week. It was the starting week of the football season. I'm not sure if you saw it, but my team, Rail Bedford, won their opening game 3-0. Amazing. We also, we had 60 people at the very first Bedford Bitcoin meetup before the game. Very, very cool. Now, we are definitely creating a Bitcoin buzz in the town, and we're going to be running one of these meetups every month before a game. So if you want to come down, give me a shout, drop me an email. Hopefully, we will get to see you down at one of the games. Anyway, today I have an interview with Jason Mayer. Now, Jason reached out to me a couple of months ago. He is writing a book, A Progressive Case for Bitcoin. So guess what? I asked him to come on the show and talk about it. With the growth of Bitcoin, we are seeing more progressives coming into the scene. And I think this is something we should celebrate, even if you don't agree with these people politically. As Bitcoin is for everyone, it is a tool for everyone. And a well-armed progressive can help fight some of the FUD that comes out of the left. Okay, so listen, I hope you enjoy this. If you do have any questions about the show or anything else, please feel free to get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And before we jump into the show, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm still only buying right. We're hodlers. The market's looking good. We're not sellers. And I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Cake Wallet. Now, Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both my security and privacy because it doesn't share my important information with unnecessary third parties. With Cake Wallet, not only can I hodl Bitcoin, but I can easily pay privately with Monero. Cake Wallet is accelerating Bitcoin adoption, since they now support buying gift cards instantly with Bitcoin, which can be used at over 150,000 merchants in the US. You can easily purchase the exact amount you need at the register and have the gift card appear instantly within Cake Wallet without needing to wait for any confirmations. And you also get to save an average 2% on purchases. And Cake Pay only requires an email, nothing else. To check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, and now they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. If you are looking for a banking provider that understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also today we have Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor, 
I'm a customer of Compass 2 and I am back mining Bitcoin. And I've been mining for nearly a year now and I've mined over 0.75 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. Now, anyone can start mining with Compass Mining. And to help you, Compass have launched the Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is based on a number of factors such as price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you're interested in mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm great. Couldn't it be better? Uh, thank you for coming in to do this. There isn't yeah. a show I've been more excited about making recently than this one, so put a bit of pressure on you. But uh, <laughs> uh, you got in touch with me recently, dropped mm -hmm. me an email. We get a lot. A lot of people ask to come on the show. Um, yeah. We read through them all and consider them all. Um, but you came at just the right time with just the right topic because uh, I was even talking about it last night at this meetup. Mm hmm I don't want Bitcoin to be a partisan issue. Bitcoin's right for everyone, right? Sure. And um, you dropped in and said, "Hey, Pete, I'm working <laughs> on a book. It's called The Progressive Case for Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and I want to uh, I want to help Orange Pill progressives." Right. Yeah. And so I was like, "Great, come on the show, and here we are." So. Sure. Yeah. And it's been a wild ride since, right? I didn't ask to come on the show. I just asked to talk to you. Oh, yeah, that was it. You know? Sorry, apologies. I, yeah. No, yeah. well, I, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to be on the show, though, because that's a project that I really care about. Um, and I'm excited about it. So um, I was I was like to you, I said, you've got to come on the show. Yeah. And um, and I said, yes. <laughs> so here, here we are. And how many podcasts have you done? Uh, this is about 0 0.01 podcasts. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we are absolutely honored that you're come on our show first. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to your book. I know my brother is. Right. And not, did you actually talk to my brother? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a very long conversation. He was super helpful and uh, very thoughtful. So it was great. Yeah, yeah. so he's, um, he's excited by this. Sure. And yeah, we, look, there, there's no shortage of uh, people you want to talk to in Bitcoin who are perhaps libertarians or mm -hmm. maybe more conservative. Mm -hmm. And naturally so, Bitcoin does feel more of a conservative or slash libertarian idea sure, sure. Uh, and that has led to some issues with some crappy reporting you, you see these just hit piece articles where it's bitcoin is used by you know, white supremacists and yeah, yeah. bitcoin is used by the ultra right and all that kind of bollocks and nonsense and we haven't seen particularly helpful stuff come from some Senators on the left, Elizabeth Warren hasn't been great. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so when somebody approaches this topic, uh, mm -hmm. it's who I want to speak to the most because Bitcoin is for everyone. So sure, let's. Um, people aren't going to know you, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we should uh, introduce them to you. So do you want to just just give us a bit of your backstory? Sure, sure. So um, I am a math teacher. Um, that's my sort of day fiat job. Um, and that's essentially the the venue for which I, I got into Bitcoin, right? I, like I originally got a conviction about Bitcoin because I, I was excited about the math and the computer science behind it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to the Bitcoin space, right? Like people don't know who I am. Um, but uh, when I got a conviction for Bitcoin, you know, I'll just... Uh, 
you know, the smartest and weirdest person that I know is my best friend, and he got me into Bitcoin. And um, how how did that happen? Yeah, so he, you know, he, it was funny. He sent me this text and he's like, "Hey, you know, what are you doing with your stimulus check? You gonna buy some Bitcoin?" I like, what the hell are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was absolutely, you know, it was just a text message. And you know, I uh, I'm very risk averse uh, generally. That's sort of my my default. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, in a poor family. I have some financial success right now. I'm comfortable. Um, and uh, that's sort of my default is risk averse, right? I'm not going to take risks. So, um, you know, I kid you not, uh, I got that text from him. I decided to buy $20 worth of Bitcoin. And then it was like, well, now I own Bitcoin. I need to know all about it, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I just, I remember uh, my son was in the bath and I'm just sitting there watching videos about like, all right, what's, big, what's a blockchain and, and all of that stuff. So um, that was my introduction. And I got this conviction, um, not through any sort of political lens at all, um, but through um, the idea that this is a solid mathematical invention. This is a computer science invention. Um, and then I wanted to learn more. And I was just like ravenous, right? I just wanted to learn as much as I can about Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, you know, I realized as I went through and, and the deeper I went, I was, just, I was having to like cut through a bunch of like political arguments that I just do not agree with, you know? Um, or it seemed really fringe, actually. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, you find out, oh, um, some people don't want the government to exist at all, right? And like, that's a pretty <laughs> fringe idea. That's not mainstream at all, right? And mm -hmm. if you dive deep enough into the Bitcoin space, like, you start thinking like, oh yeah, everybody thinks that the government shouldn't exist or should be super small or something like that. So um, I just you know, wanted to learn more. And, and really, I was fine because I had a conviction about Bitcoin. I wasn't going to give up just because there's some sort of libertarian or conservative bent to it. Um, but a lot of the people that I care about, that I work with, that I love, my family, friends, um, not, weren't necessarily had that conviction. Uh, and I realized that a lot of the resources that exist out there, like I couldn't really like, hey, you can read this book, but like skip chapter six because they go, <laughs> you know, like it's a little bit weird. Um, so, you know, what they say, if you, if you want to read a book and it doesn't exist yet, you, you sort of, you write it. So, and how many books have you written in the past? Yeah, uh, this one. This, this one. is it. Yeah, what a first. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get into that because sure, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's quite the endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, have you uh, have you talked about Bitcoin in class yet in your math class? That's a great question. Yeah. So <laughs> the answer is yes. And they're um, all like, they're, "Sir, for fuck's sake, we've known about this for ages." No, no, absolutely not. Um, so what, what I, I teach high school. Okay, I teach high school. So a range from ninth to twelfth grade. Um, and um, so this past year, there was one class where, I mean, people kind of knew. I have a poster up in my, you know, in my office. Um, and one kid asked a question. And, you know, like, they're pretty good at asking questions that get you off topic. Right? They don't want to learn, <laughs> you know, the, the day's lesson. So they asked me a question, then another one. And I said, listen, guys, I'm, I can talk to you about this forever, right? But their questions were very one-on-one -on -one level, right? Like, how do you know it has value? Like, what, like, what if it just disappears? Like, what if there's a hack? Like, that, that kind of stuff, right? Uh -huh. Very happy to, to talk with them about it. They were, yeah, about two-thirds of them were super excited. Um, and then my other class, um, I actually um, mentioned to them at the end of the year, like that, I, was, oh, I'm, I have this project, I'm working on this book. This is well before I contacted you. They were over the moon. They were so excited about it. So um, they'll probably be listening to this when it drops and, and excited for me. But again, uh, I think even teenagers right now, unless they have some sort of reason, um, they, they seem comfortable in the digital space and they know um, they don't have any 
worries. I don't have any worries about them adopting Bitcoin in the future because they're living in a digital world. But there's still a lot of education. You know, you can't take a look at a 15-year-old and assume, oh, they get Bitcoin. You know, so um, that was surprising. The the questions that were coming to me from my students, and I, I spent one day. Um, that was the full period. So we spent an hour talking about Bitcoin. I uh, said, this can't happen again. I justified it because there's math and computer science in yeah. it. And as a head of the math and computer science department in my school. Um, so, if, you know, if, if word got up, I had some sort of a justification about wasting, you know, quote, wasting a, a day. So, um, but that was great. Yeah. You know, so th- those are those moments where I get to talk to people for the first time are really rejuvenating for me um, to to explain it in a way that they haven't thought about before, because everybody's heard of it. Uh, They don't know what it is necessarily, or they're just new to it and they have questions. Um, And I'm a teacher and I like teaching people things. I like trying to find the way through to that person. Um, And if that means I have to explain it in this way or this way, uh, then I try to, you know, I I really pride myself on my ability to do that as well as possible. And as, as you know, Bitcoin has so many angles that you can look at it from. And that, you know, like whoever I'm talking to, I can find something, right? I'm going to try to find the thing that's going to get them a conviction about it. So, yeah. And, and why is that important to to find that conviction for people? Because essentially you're saying Bitcoin's apolitical, but at the same time, right. yeah. you are uh, focusing on one particular kind of group of people. Yeah. Um, and, and so certainly uh, Bitcoin at the protocol level we know is, is apolitical. It doesn't favor anybody, doesn't disfavor anybody. Um, but the, there does exist a culture, right? There exists a culture within the Bitcoin community. And I'm not even talking about Twitter, right? Twitter is its own thing. Um, but just even in educational resources, um, if I want to learn about Bitcoin, I'm going to sort of go down this rabbit hole of clicking on this video, clicking on this video. And the best you're going to get is somebody who claims that you know, like, oh, this isn't political, but then they sort of like wink and nod, right? They're like, oh yeah, small government, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and I just found that the resources that I really wanted for myself and for the people I care about to get that conviction, they were going to get turned off. Um, and it's really unfortunate that we're in that political environment that like, if you say the wrong thing on either side, then that person's going to say, all right, well, this isn't for me. Um, and I just want to be able to have a resource, right? Uh, here, this is the first book that you read. It's not the last book you read, um, but this is going to give you some sort of conviction about the technology and about the future and about how this can actually help people and make the world a better place. And you can, as soon as you have that conviction, you can go and listen to any other resource that you want. You can listen to podcasts, you can read books, um, and you're not going to um, have uh, this worry about like, am I going in with the wrong people, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, this is why I massively support what you're doing. I'm going to back what you're doing once your Kickstarter's live, which yeah. we will mention in the show. Sure. I'll be your first backer. Um, yeah. Have you decided your packages yet, by the way? Yeah. So I'm excited because uh, um, by the time this episode airs, Kickstarter, Kickstarter's live. Um, and I'll have a link on it on my Twitter, but you'll have it on the, on the show notes, I'm sure. Um, and uh, you can pre-order the book, um, but there's also a, a level where you can, you can pre-order the book for yourself and for a senator. So I'll sign it, inscribe it, send it to all 50 you know, Democratic senators. Um, and so uh, I'm excited about that one because I think people will be interested in, in grabbing the book for themselves and then buying it for uh, a sitting U.S. senator and say, hey, this is important. Like, you need to learn more about this. And, and of course, there's a mixed bag in terms of, like, people who support it. And uh, how much is the book going to retail? 
Um, I'm thinking, you know, about $20. And how much is that package with the Senator? $50. $50. Yeah. Okay. So you get two books and they're both signed. Yeah, we'll do like 10 of those. We'll do, we'll jump in. Uh, no, the, re yeah. the reason I'm, I'm so excited for this is because there are certain people um, I don't have a resource to send them to. I mean, there are resources and there's sure. good resources. Yeah. But yep. there isn't this kind of specific book. Uh, right. The, uh, I, I know Alex Gladstein, you know, he's fairly good. He's of he's not really a, a libertarian as such. No. Um, he tends to focus from a human rights side of things, which is useful. Yep. And then Samantha's article I sent you, who wrote the yes. letter to yes. Elizabeth Warren, was very good. Yes. She, she and I spoke, and, and she was great. Yeah. She's great. I thought she was going to do something similar, mm -hmm. uh, write a book like this. Um, yeah. I am actually a conservative considered in the UK. Sure. But here in America, I'm considered a, a woke liberal. Right, right. Um, but uh, I do have friends in the UK who I think would also benefit from reading this book. So I will be buying a bunch of them, and I think it's super useful. And I also think anyone who, even if you aren't somebody who... Uh, appreciates the progressive uh, mm -hmm. side that you should embrace this because ultimately at a time that is so divisive actually something that isn't partisan that can help people come together right. i think it's good right and and so I, I you know i it's it's good to to point that out right like the argument for the the thesis of the book is that i want to get people who are not into bitcoin into bitcoin um, and everyone should support that because it's if we want it to be a global money it should be for everyone um, it's not to change people's minds, right? If you're if you're listening to this and you're a conservative and you're into Bitcoin, like I'm not intending to change your mind, right? Like you can be a conservative, I'll be a liberal. We'll both be into Bitcoin. We'll both have probably more common ground because of that than otherwise. Um, but you know, then if there's actually a welcoming community, so liberals and progressives and left-leaning people can get into the space more easily, then we can actually have a you know. A, you know, competition of ideas. Like you think that this should happen, I think that this should happen, and and the and the ways that Bitcoin intersects with society and with government and with policy. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense. First of all, if we want Bitcoin to be a global money, it can't just be libertarians who live in Texas, right? Like mm. it, it's not going to work. And even if you could, it's not a good recipe for coming up with good policy, good initiatives, right? Like you can't have like only one side of the political spectrum and you can't have like in some ways the most extreme side of that political spectrum being the only voice because um, we need a competition of ideas. We need somebody to say, hey, this is the way Bitcoin should intersect with this policy or, or this. Um, and I think that, you know, my goal is to get more people uh, having a voice feeling comfortable in the space so we can actually have that dialogue. And you know what? There'll be people listening or who will discover your book who themselves might be conservative and their yeah. wife might be a liberal. For or, sure. Or their parents might be liberal yeah. or somebody within their family yeah. and friendship group. Yeah. And they've probably maybe struggled to convince them. Absolutely. Yeah. That this is an opportunity to do it. Because I actually, whether you are conservative, liberal, neutral, whatever you are, mm -hmm. I find that Bitcoin is very rarely disagree on protocol level things. Oh, I mean, sure. Some of the techies yeah. might disagree on what the next bit might be, but we've all kind of come to the agreement that we want this thing to be decentralized. Sure. We want 21 million, mm -hmm. pretty much most people, you know, we, we want to retain all those qualities. Where we tend to argue is actually on the political side of things because of some people want no state, some want small state, some, mm -hmm. some believe that's natural. Yeah. But at the moment, we don't have small states. No, you, no, we, we don't. We have we have the state as it is mm -hmm. uh, bitcoin is growing and flourishing and uh it's best for everyone if we introduce as many people as possible right just for you though yeah on the 
on the monetary side, sure. is is money something you've spent time understanding in the past, or was this part of the rabbit hole? Absolutely not, right? So, so on, and and I think that this is an is a great opportunity for people to on the on the left side to learn a little bit more about money. Um, you know, I I grew up uh, without a lot of resources. You know, I didn't. Uh, even have like training in terms of like proper investments, like absent Bitcoin, right? And it blew me away uh, to learn like what money is, how money is created, uh, what does it mean to have that the Federal Reserve has a monopoly on money creation and things like that. Um, and and the reason it it resonates is because everybody who considers themselves a liberal progressive on the left side feels that the system is broken, right? Like they, they feel that it's wrong. They look back to 2008 and nobody thinks that we fixed it. Um, and and learning, through, learning about the current financial system through Bitcoin is an excellent way to understand why the current financial system feels wrong to so many people. And, and of course, liberal people have their ideas, right? We have our theories about why that is. Uh, but the more you know about it, um, the more you know about the current financial system, the more you dislike it. And it goes beyond sort of a superficial, like billionaires are greedy and ridiculous and banks are greedy and ridiculous. Like That's all true. Um, but it's also like, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and so my journey to understand what money is as an actual uh, technology tool um, it began when I really started getting into Bitcoin. It wasn't before then. And out of the outside of the mass computer science things, because sure. obviously if you're a mass teacher, that just yeah. that side of the thing is going to be super interesting to you. But was there yeah. anything that particularly grabbed you? Was there like a moment, an orange pillar moment, where you had that kind of mm-hmm. you're like, wow, this actually, I understand this. This means like like it means something for you. Yeah, I mean uh, a thousand times, okay. right? You know, and I think maybe the very first one of those was when. Um, I remember the moment I learned that there's only 21 million and that's all there could be, right? And the, and the idea that, for, for me, the conviction came from uh, this sense of digital scarcity, which has never existed before, right? Like, I think a lot of people obviously think that, all right, I can copy and paste emails and cat memes and that stuff, right? And so if it's digital, um, it, it can't be scarce. Um, and to learn why and how that was true was, was a moment uh, for sure. And there's been a thousand since. And d- did you have any moments where, or any particular reservations where you thought, hold on, uh, when you kind of thought through the implications of, of what Bitcoin is and if Bitcoin became a dominant form of money, mm-hmm. were there things that worried you, concerned you? Yeah, and um, yes and no. I think that um, as I learned more about Bitcoin, I learned that um, I became to, to believe that the current financial system as we have it right now, as it exists, um, is not sustainable in any real way. Like it's, I mean, we can see it happening now. Um, And so I worry about a transition from what we have now, which is flawed and broken and not good and not treating people well, um, most people, um, to a new system. Because I I do think that 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 transition poses dangers, right? I, I think that there's vulnerable people out there right now who will not navigate that transition well. And it's impossible to know when it happens, how long it takes, what it looks like. Um, and so that worries me is to switching to a new system. But on the other hand, um, I don't know that we have a choice. I don't, I don't think that 
I'm not willing to say that Bitcoin is completely inevitable, but it's very close. And I, I personally have a, a, a belief that it is. Um, but, you know, you think of it as a life draft and not the, the iceberg, right? So the goal now is just to get as many people educated and the people that I care about knowing about this thing and, um, and reaching the biggest audience as I can so that when that transition happens, then people are ready and they understand what's going on. Um, and that's one of the motivations behind the book, because I think there's, there's an audience out there um, who, who doesn't take Bitcoin seriously and who is being told by politicians and the media that they shouldn't and it's bad. And, and we all know, you know these pieces that come out. And I just need to reach those people. And have you managed to orange pill many people yourself? I mean, if per, like, I mean, not on the scale of you, right? Yeah, but you could. You could end up with more. <clears throat> Well, yeah, looking forward, uh, for sure. Um, I, I have orange-pilled as many people as I can who are in my direct circle. And I love it because each one is a different argument and a different justification or a different way of thinking about Bitcoin. And becomes research. And becomes research for the book, right? Like yeah. the book essentially is um, a, a collection of the most poignant, uh, effective arguments to get somebody who you know is a is left leaning or progressive to actually buy in and, and want to learn more, and so um, I, you know I'm still at the level where I've, I've orange pilled a lot of people that I, I care about who I'm close to, and you know I keep tabs on them. I, I check in with them. Oh, you know, like how are you doing with the price going down and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but certainly not at scale. But I, I realize that it's something I enjoy doing. It's it's absolutely um, thrilling for me to like see that light bulb moment. For somebody who hasn't uh, really sat down to think about it, and, and your wife has she been like shut the fuck up already? Uh, no, no. I mean, my <laughs> uh, she's great. She's absolutely great. Um, you know, I I did give her, you know, I gave her some resources to look at when I, I decided I wanted to start, you know, diving into this. She's been absolutely great. She's um, she's my best friend, and she's the smartest person in the world. And and she and I go back and forth about uh, Bitcoin, and she'll. She'll push me on issues, right? Um, and say, hey, what, but what about this? Are you sure about that? Um, and, you know, she, so this is a great anecdote. The other day, she saw that the price was down and she's like, are you buying more? Like, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. So, like, oh, that's, she's on board. That's the kind of she wife you it. want. Yeah. She's like, yeah, absolutely. You, you, you need to buy more. She's like, oh, yeah. We have some money coming in like next month. Why don't you just buy it now? And, you know, while it's low. So, it's, it's what you want. Oh, my gosh. She's perfect. Yeah. She is. She, she got a sister? No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's awesome, man. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I just want to touch on something you said, because you, sure. you talked about something that I think about. Yeah. This transition to a new financial system right. is something that's worried me a lot. It's something I've thought about a lot because mm -hmm. I haven't seen anyone really map it out. Sure. You know, what is this transition? What does yeah. it mean? Uh, do, and obviously there's multiple outcomes. Bitcoin yeah. sits alongside fiat currencies. Fiat currencies mm -hmm. become a little bit more maybe government policy becomes a little bit more responsible. Yeah. Maybe the size of government shrinks because they can't spend the mm -hmm. way they've spent. But it still sits there alongside fiat currencies. Yeah. Uh, but there is a scenario where Bitcoin ends up replacing fiat currencies that some people have considered. Yeah. And we're going to have a considerable transfer of wealth if that happens. Sure. Um, and all types of people are going to be affected in all types of different ways. And it could be a chaotic and bloody transition. Yeah. And one I've tried to think through but haven't been able to map out mm -hmm. but just does make me nervous not that i don't it doesn't even matter what i think yeah 
it'll either happen or it won't. But when it does happen, you know, how do we best prepare for that transition? And, and how do we as people try and help each other through that transition? Right. How much time have you spent thinking that through? Um, I mean, some. I, I don't probably have all of the answers that you want. Um, okay. You know, but, um, and, and you said a lot of people, the truth, it will affect everyone. Right, it, it can't not if it if it goes that way, um, and it, it's true. Like the transition could be difficult, and here's um, you know here's the the way that actually I get through this. Right, like an hour ago, automatically on my phone, I bought fifty five cents worth of Bitcoin. Right, it happens automatically. You can't buy fifty five cents worth of a house. You can't buy fifty five cents worth of like you know Apple stock or something. And so there's an opportunity to get people onboarded um, in a way that is not prohibitive um, and uh, can actually allow people who even don't have a lot of means right now, probably pretty quickly save up to like their like average share of Bitcoin. Like if you do buy 21 million by the population, like it's not hard to get to that point now. Um, and you don't need a, a ton of resources to do that. And so getting as many people as possible to do that is, is one key. Um, and uh, it's also true that, you know, our current system means that the more money you have right now, the more influence you have about how money works and uh, how much money you get and all of that stuff. And, and I just don't worry as much about Bitcoin in terms of the people who have a lot of money. And that certainly there will be some uh, in Bitcoin terms who have a lot. They don't get to influence the protocol um, they don't get to change it to, to be more beneficial towards them. And so uh, really the secret hopefully is to just get as many people educated about it as possible. And, and your two, you know, sort of paths are absolutely true, right? We could be in a world within our lifetime where Bitcoin is the thing and it happened um, without even realizing it. Most, most people will just look around one day like, oh yeah, Bitcoin is everywhere, right? It's, mm. it's the thing. Um, or there's, a, a, <laughs> I, I think, a less likely op option where you, the, the government has a check on it now, right? There's a competition and a better kind of money. And so the government and the fiat money exists, um, but in a checked way, right? There's actually a way to keep it uh, operating well. Um, and either one of those is better than what we have now. I, I think, um, as long as we can transition slowly, right? That's my dream, right? Is that all of a sudden our economy doesn't collapse and we don't go into a huge amount of turmoil and people just look around. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. There, there was a moment in which um, I looked around many years ago and said, oh, everybody is on their phone and they're looking at it. And that's just the way it is now. And that wasn't like that. And I couldn't pinpoint the moment that that happened, right? It just, it, all of a sudden, like that change shifts, right? And I think that, that that is the best case for for Bitcoin, right? In you know, however many years, people all of a sudden they just sort of, oh yeah, look, Bitcoin is in in the rails of my bank or in the in the apps that I'm using or in my paycheck, um, and it just sort of happens without people realizing. It. That's the best case. Well, we've already had one of those transitions for Bitcoin now, where you just don't meet people who haven't heard of it, right? I mean, I'm sure yeah. if you go, you know, maybe to to the jungle in sure. Brazil and you find sure. some tribe, they will, but uh, sure. there, yeah. there's never a scenario where I get in an Uber and I'm talking to the driver and he says, what you, what do you do? And I say, I've got a Bitcoin podcast. And he's like, well, what is Bitcoin? No, They're no. like, oh, yeah. it's that thing. Yeah. But you, you just don't meet people anymore. So at right. some point we've transitioned to a world where everyone has pretty much heard of it. Right. They don't necessarily understand what it is, but that's a, that's no small, small, small thing. No, right? no, it's huge. It's huge. Right. Cause I mean, 
you know, like everyone else, I have my false start introduction to Bitcoin too, right? Like I heard of it, yeah. I didn't have a conviction and you go back and you kick yourself, right? Like, oh, it was 2012 and I could have. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you know, but, but you're right. Everyone's heard of it now. And um, what's not surprising, but a problem is that um, a lot of people who've heard of it think that they know what it is. Uh, they think they understand what the pros and cons are. Um, but they just haven't had the time uh, or the reason to look into it, right? A lot of the people I interact with, you know, I'm in the in the states, and there's just not as much for reason to like. There's not much urgent reason to to really dig into it yet. Well, it's it's not. There's not as much of a need for people to have Bitcoin here. Mm. The same in the UK, right? Same in Germany. Sure. There is a need, but yeah. it's not like the need that people have in other countries. You know, right. the high double digit, triple digit inflation. Mm-hmm. People are living under authoritarian regimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, and and I found with going to places like that, people naturally get it more because, right. I guess we've never had that urgent need to understand money, mm-hmm. even with you know inflation rate two three percent, even with all the fuckery from the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life from day to day doesn't change that drastically. But when right. when I went to Venezuela, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Your money is melting in front of you, and people naturally had to find a way to store their money. That's why they use five different currencies there. That's right. why people want the dollar because the bolivar is junk. Yeah. So they had a reason to discover it. Right. So in, so it's a little bit harder to try and convince people. Yeah, I mean, and and there are reasons why somebody who lives in a developed Western you know country would would want it and need it. The use case is completely different from somebody who's living uh, in, in a place where their bank account could get frozen immediately, or you know, aid going to that country gets skimmed off the top. Like, there's lots of reasons. Um, there's just different reasons, um, and I think that the the thing that gives me hope is that we like in America or England or wherever else we will need it for sure. Um, and you know, one of my friends said, hey, "Yeah, I just I'm worried about Bitcoin because I don't think that people are bright enough to are like dedicated or they don't have the techno- technical knowledge to understand it, and it can never take off because you know what if what if people just don't get it." And and the beautiful thing is that you don't need to necessarily understand why something is better money to to gravitate towards it, right? As you're saying in the Venezuela example, right? Like if you have money that's broken. Um, then you will find something else and you'll find the better thing. And you don't need to know what a BIP is and you don't need to know what the mempool is. You'll, you'll figure it out. Um, and so I have faith in our ability sort of as a society and in, in our uh, government or in our country um, to, to make that transition in, in that way. Um, because, you know, we're on the same curve as Venezuela. We're just in a different spot, you know. So. Yeah, some people find that hard to believe. I, well... You know, I, I've never, you know, like I've never really understood inflation until I really started looking into Bitcoin. When, I remember when I started uh, learning about Bitcoin, they're, they're always going on and on about inflation. It's not a big deal. It probably hurts rich people more than it hurts poor people. You know, like all that stuff is yeah. all wrong. Um, and we go into as details about that if we well, want. Did you listen to my interview with Ovik Roy? I did. Yeah. yeah. And it was fascinating, right? Because it, it's it's not just the compounding effect, right? Like you have um, inflation is going to to compound and and hurt people who are, are more vulnerable and, and less wealthy. Um, but it's just the sheer fact that um, if you have somebody who's struggling day to day to get by, week to week, paycheck to paycheck, 100% of what they are bringing in needs to go towards like necessities. 
And so if everything is more expensive, then you don't have any choices. You just have to, you have to spend more on those things um, or you have to make choices about what not to buy. And an affluent person can, doesn't need to do that. They're not spending 100% of their salary or their income on you know, food and shelter. Um, they get choices about where they put their money. Um, and so it's just, I mean, Avik, uh, your interview with him and the article that you were talking mm. about was absolutely fascinating because you have these vulnerable people out there. And even if you want to give the Fed you know, some sort of credit and say, oh, well, we're targeting 2%. Um, and that's not a big deal. Well, it really is. Like that is a big deal for people over a span of time. Mm. Um, and you know, the fact that we're not at two percent right now, we're over nine, is a, a huge deal. And it's not something that I've had to deal with in my adult life, right? Like I've not, I've not had a job and had to pay for things and deal with nine percent inflation, right? That's not a problem that we've ever had to deal with. So yeah, it's and, new. And there's another co- consideration with that. Uh, we were at this meetup last night. And I was on a panel and somebody said, uh, they asked me about my children, mm-hmm. you know, my consideration for my children. And it just kind of clicked for me in that moment that uh, when Ovik talks about this compounding impact on the poor, you yeah. know, even 2% doesn't feel too much, but year after year after year, it makes a huge difference. This inflation has a compounding impact on children. So anyone with children just needs to be aware that, you know, if... Uh, that child's going to spend probably like up to 18 years with you, but perhaps you're going to be supporting them at college afterwards. You might be supporting them for 25 years. Now, if you're not affluent Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, maybe you're middle class, lower class, but if you're not affluent, you might not be somebody who's able to leave particular assets for your children. And even if you want to, at the point where they're leaving school or university and want to get on the housing ladder and start life themselves... Yeah. Over that 25 years, they have no assets. So it has a compounding impact on their start in life, which is something I hadn't even considered. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's happening everywhere all at once. Nobody who's starting out in life right now can afford to buy a home uh, if they're starting on their own, right? Unless they have some sort of help. And, and, it, and I think that's, it's clear that that problem has gotten worse. Um, and of course, you know, this all ties into the money and it has a connection to Bitcoin, obviously, because you have, um, you know, you're holding on to money and it's melting away. What do you do with it? You have to buy an appreciating asset, right? So there's a lot of people who don't need houses because they already have a couple who are buying homes um, or corporations who are buying homes who have no real reason to buy homes, except that they're trying to preserve their monetary value. Well, it's a bit more yeah. than that. Someone like a BlackRock, yeah. Yeah. they have access to capital at such a low rate that right. they can go and buy the scarce asset. Sure. Uh, the properties have been, I, th- I think, I'm saying BlackRock, I'm not sure what it's saying, but I'm pretty sure they've bought tens of thousands of homes. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. it's true. It is BlackRock. It's BlackRock, yeah. 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 I mean, I think a lot of the, the big hedge funds do it. But can you find out how many homes BlackRock, BlackRock owns? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they started under the One West thing with Mnuchin. Yeah. Um, there was like big transitional wealth mm-hmm. uh, from homeowners to BlackRock. Right. No, <laughs> and it's true, right? Because what if you don't have any good options, what do you do, right? And, you know, I, I remember talking with friends of mine, right? Like, oh, so-and-so, you know, some famous football player just bought this ridiculous house. And it's like... Uh, it says here about 80,000. So BlackRock owns 80,000 homes. That's what it says here. I don't, yeah. What's the article? Right. Uh, it's in the Atlantic. That's of June 2021 as well. So, so they've probably got like slightly more. 150,000 yeah. homes now. And, and every, every home they buy is one less home available to somebody who needs it. And it drives the prices up for the houses that they don't buy. And it just, it's, it's impossible to get a start, right? This is where people, 
look at the system and they're like, this is, this is system is not working uh, for me. Like I can, I can even go to college and work really hard and get a good job and I still can't afford a house. Yeah. So you don't have to be a, a progressive to, to realize this. You could just have to be a reasonable person to understand that we have a, we live in a system of money right? and in that system of money that certain people have access, more access to capital mm-hmm. and with more access to capital at such a low interest rate, they can go and buy up the properties. Yeah. And that takes, it's just a not, not a fair it's system. It's not a fair system. And, and again, like this goes back to my point. I'm not trying to convince, you know, like, oh, if you believe that BlackRock buying homes is unfair, then you need to be voting for Democrats or something. That's not true. But there are a lot of people out there who are voting for Democrats who know that there's a problem but can't name it. Yeah. And, and that's the target, right? Is say, if I can open up their eyes to um, have a fuller picture of what the problem is, that's, the, that's my target audience. I want them to be convinced. Well, I think that's an important point is that you're not, you're not here to c- convert Republicans into no. becoming Democrats. <laughs> you're here to give uh, no. uh, people who are on the left uh, yeah, sure. some ideas regarding this. So yeah. uh, I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to sound like a simple question, but it's good to, it's good to hear how it's explained because um, mm-hmm. it, how would you explain what a progressive is and what a progressive cares about? And perhaps add into that maybe, I don't, I don't know what you think, but personally I think it, the progressive side has been, there's a small group that have, uh, have damaged the 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 reputation of progressives. Sure. Well, I, I well, first of all, I think that's true on both sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I do think that um, if you go back, first of all, I'll say you know the progressive the the group of progressives is very heterogeneous. And, um, you know, there's, there's no one definition, right? I can yeah, go back to my own first principles. And this is actually a very good point. The title of the book is A Progressive's Case for Bitcoin, right? It's not the progressive case for Bitcoin. And yeah. there's an important distinction there, right? Good, like, good. I'm, I'm giving you my thoughts about Bitcoin at, through a progressive lens, and hopefully you can learn and run with it. Uh, but I'm not s- trying to speak for all progressives. Um, I can say that from first principles point of view, um, I think that I... You know, I want to go about uh, living my life in a decent way and treat people well with dignity and uh, protect through society, protect the most vulnerable people in, in society, right? So that's first principle. Um, you know, we talk a lot in the Bitcoin space about collectivism versus individualism, and it's an interesting conversation, right? It's an interesting way to think about the world. And, you know, my personal view, you know, like we are a social species, like we're animals that have evolved quite literally in our DNA to be around other people and to cooperate. And from a very first principle, there has to be a balance of individual versus um, the group. And people can have conversations about what that balance is. I'm not saying that you forsake everything and you make every sacrifice for yourself for the betterment of the group, but you don't have the human race without people getting together and helping each other and working together towards projects. So, um, and, and that's essentially what I think about in terms of my political position. There's a lot of things that exist right now because of the financial system that we're in. And there's a lot of policies I support because I have that fundamental thing. I want to make sure that the people in our society who are most vulnerable are protected. And that might be, um, you, know, uh, you know, through an economic lens. It might be through a social justice lens. Um, and, and that's how I think about, the like, myself as a progressive, right? And, you know, 
if I live my life that way and I get to the very end and maybe on my deathbed, I find out, hey, you know what? Like that was all wrong. Like you shouldn't have done that. You know, <laughs> um, I, I can still probably die happy because I, I'm not, I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to like be a good person and I'm trying to make sure that other, you know, that's, that's a mistake I'm willing to make. Uh, if it turns out to be wrong, I don't think it is. Um, so I, I think that what's interesting about that sort of first principles, um, what does it mean to be a progressive and what does it mean for me to be a progressive? Uh, it's a very interesting dynamic because all of all of my thinking and all of my thought process for most of my adult life has been without Bitcoin. And it has existed in a current system that is flawed and inefficient and unfair. Um, and and so I have a lot of, you know, I support a lot of ideas that exist now to try to help that system. And I am open to the idea that if we change the system, if we change the water that we're swimming in, then maybe I can still hold on to those first principle values of, you know, being a decent person that helps the most vulnerable in our society. And it doesn't have to look like it looks now. You know, I don't know what it looks like because we don't know what the end game here is. But um, that's, that's an interesting dynamic for me. I've thought a little bit about like, well, if we proceed to this Bitcoin standard or there's this fiat Bitcoin sort of parallel track, like you mentioned earlier, um, do I need to have 100% like lockstep, all of the same beliefs in terms of policy and decisions that I do now? And, and I'm open to, to thinking about those. And have you thought through that a transition to a Bitcoin standard might naturally lead to a significantly smaller state mm -hmm. and therefore a uh, significantly less options for the state to be able to help the most vulnerable in society and, and yeah you know it might mean that some of the ideas with regards to progressives might not come from central policy it might have to come from voluntary organizations it, it's possible i don't know that that's necessarily the solution right but it's it's there's nothing necessarily inherent about a small state that like um means that my my worldview is impossible right okay. and this is why i say like i don't need the libertarians to be wrong necessarily, right? Like if we have some sort of check um, on our government and say, okay, well, our federal government has to get smaller or what, you know, any government has to get smaller because we have this Bitcoin thing, then they just have to make better decisions about what the hell they're doing with their money, right? Like it's, okay, let's fight a few less wars. Let's give, you know, a fewer subsidies to fossil fuels. And I, I think that's why it's important to have progressive voices in there. So we can have a debate of ideas. Like what we have this pot of money now. We can't just print anymore. Like we need to use it. And if we go into debt, that has to be very careful and, and all of those things. And then um, I don't want libertarians being the only ones making those decisions. I think that I think that liberals and progressives should have a voice in that. So I do think that you can still help people and you can still have um, you know safeguards for very vulnerable people, safety net for people. Um, and the federal government doesn't have to be as big as it is now. And um, yeah, it becomes this, this dog whistle, right, for a lot of people. Like, well, I want a smaller government. And really, if you're a progressive or a liberal person, um, not into Bitcoin, then you're probably hearing this say, okay, well, what kind of things do you want to, uh, you know, chop? What, what do you want to get rid of? And like, you know, <laughs> like a lot of times it's like things that protect people who need the help. Um, and so it, it just becomes a surface level. Like, I want a small government. Small government's bad because it doesn't help the people, right? It's like that's... It, it, go, it can go a little deeper than that. And I think that that's a conversation that is worth having. I agree. Definitely worth having. I, I, I do just point to the fact in the UK, uh, when we went into a period of austerity under a conservative mm -hmm. government, which was a government I think at that time I did vote for, mm -hmm. uh, the austerity, the headlines were that it really affected the most vulnerable in society. Yeah. Uh, they removed uh, the 
uh, our version of welfare for sure. uh, people who are maybe disabled and couldn't work. They mm-hmm. moved, uh, they started, they created this thing called the, the be- it was the bedroom tax, wasn't it? Whereby if you had uh, social housing and it was, say, a two-bedroom home and you're one person living in there, they taxed out of the bedroom. They did lots of things that weren't, mm-hmm. it wasn't good policy where I felt they could have cut from other areas. But, sure. you know, we, that's, I think... Well, and I think that's critically important to have multiple voices in there and then you're not always going to get your way. But yeah. I, I do think that, um, you, you know, it takes work. And, and I think there's a lot of people um, in the Bitcoin space who say, all right, I'm just going to plug in this umbral node and the world will get better. And it takes work. Like you have yeah. to actually engage with people. You have to bring them in. You have to educate them. You have to make sure they understand why. And the last thing I want is to get into a position where, you know, the government is, all right, well, you know, what do we do? What do we do? Now we have to actually tax people and we can't just print the money. Like I want all kinds of voices in that conversation, including voices that agree with me who think that, you know, taxes should be a certain way or the welfare state should be a certain way. Um, those are conversations that need to happen and it, it's going to take work. You can't just say, okay, well, Bitcoin's inevitable and then just dust your hands off and walk away. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger has recently announced the launch of their new Nano S Plus, and the larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. The Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. And listen, I have been a customer of Ledger since early 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Next up, it is BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money cannot buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against others and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is definitely the best Bitcoin casino out there. And if you want to find out more, please head over to bitcasino.io, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award. That is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And remember, please gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without ever selling their Bitcoin. And with recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserve attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. But not only are Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also, we have the Pacific Bitcoin Conference hosted by Swamp Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th, 2022 in sunny Los Angeles. 
Now, I've known Corey, Yan, and Brady for years, and they are pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin a celebration of the Bitcoin community. I'm going to be emceeing the conference along with Natalie Brunel and Stefan Levera, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, and Preston Pish. Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to have the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. There's going to be a surfing simulator, and it's going to be loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They are bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin in to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation-state adoption and mining to lightning. You do not want to miss out on the inaugural Pacific Bitcoin Conference. It's going to be a badass event. I'm going to be there. I cannot wait to go. I cannot wait to see you all there. Now, Swan is offering a massive 20% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to PacificBitcoin.com and use the code PETA. That's P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N com and use the code Peter. And how do you feel about the voices that will come to you with uh, you know, certain claims that I've had to I had to deal with yeah. over the time because I am, to some people in America, considered uh, yeah. a lefty. Sure. Um, some of the arguments that come up to me that the strongest ones are that taxation is theft under the threat of a gun. And yeah. that nobody should benefit from the fruits of others' labors. Now they they yeah. tend to be people more for the close to no government sure. uh, position, yeah. which is a very th- it's a tough thing to argue against. Because in some ways, I understand the argument. It comes, I think, it comes from uh, a, an ethical place where it's like no, yeah. I, I should not be forced to give anything I've earned to anyone else. I disagree with it because I think we 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 do yeah. will coordinate, but. It is a difficult argument. Yeah. uh, Well, not for me. I think it's silly. Um, You know, you. A lot of people would like to think that all of their successes are their successes, right? And that um, all of the money I earn, I should keep, and it shouldn't. You shouldn't decide what to do with it. And it's very appealing on the surface. Um, Nobody is an island. Right. And if you have a successful business, um, you know, part of the reason it's successful is because there's a road that gets you there. And, you know, there's regulations that keep the business safe and all of that stuff. So if you live in a society and I'm, I'm thinking even more globally, right, like we have a government system right now. It's, you know, the state, you know, nation, nation state system. But just as a as a general rule. If you're benefiting from society and you maybe you have good ideas and you work really hard and you make a lot of money, that, that's fine. But, you know, like it's not necessarily wrong to say, all right, well, we are going to as a collective, like we're going to tax you for that, you know, those profits and then uh, try to do good for the society. Now, we can have all sorts of debates like, well, what how much is the right amount to tax and um, how much, you know, should we be giving to people who have fallen on hard times or who need help? Those are reasonable debates. Um, and, and I think that there's a spectrum of, of right answers and different people will come to different conclusions. And that's why, you know, maybe you vote and then you figure out, you know, policymakers come to those conclusions. But the idea that like taxation is theft um, under the threat of violence is, I mean, you know, Peter, it's a very fringe idea. Like you walk out of this room, people aren't going to say that, right? Like it, that's, that's on, you know, that's some people in Bitcoin. Yeah, it's, that, yeah. it's less fringe in Bitcoin. Yeah, for sure, and yeah. it's and it's and I'll just you know I'll just say plainly, it's absolutely a fringe idea, um, and and I don't even need to say that it's right or wrong. It's just, it's a fringe idea. Yeah. Um, but the idea that you know, well, I I'm, 
you know, I live in, like, I'm doing it all myself, and I'm an individual, and I've made this company, and I've done this work. Nobody's doing stuff by themselves. Even if you think you are, you're not. You live in, you live in a society. You live in a civilization. And, um, you know, I, I just think the decent thing to do is to try to your best to, to allocate yourself appropriately. And have you prepared yourself for the response to this? Because people are in the Bitcoin space, sure. they have strong opinions and they're happy to share them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And sometimes in a kind way and sometimes yeah. not in a kind way. Uh, yeah. And well, I mean, the goal, the goal for me from the very beginning is to upset as many Bitcoiners <laughs> and, as, and as many progressives as possible, right? There, there are going to be people, we're going to have a nice conversation here yeah. and I have a long list of things I want to talk to you about and I'm not going to get to one of them, right? And or maybe two. And so the progressive people who are listening are going to get upset because, hey, you didn't mention like this topic A or topic B. Um, and, uh, and by the way, if I wrote my book like that, it'd be a thousand pages long, right? So like I can't do everything. Uh, but certainly I'm okay upsetting Bitcoiners. Um, you know, it's, um, there's, there's a nice, small, vibrant community of people who are into Bitcoin who agree with me and who support, you know, the work that I'm doing and who want to help people and who view the world through the same lens as me. And if you don't, that's fine. Like, again, I'm not trying to change your mind. And we can, you know, maybe we sit down and have a beer and we talk about it, but it's not, um, you know, I'm going to die on a hill and we're not going to get onto uh, Twitter and have like long form conversations in a short form medium. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so um, if people disagree with me, I'm sure they will. Uh, please reach out, talk to me, um, let me know, you know, say mean things, whatever. It's, it's fine. There, there is a growing interest in this topic. I don't, I don't even know if you saw, I put a tweet out about it the other day. About the fact that we're meeting to talk. I did. My buddy sent that to me. He did. Said, oh, is this you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, can you look it up? Because you know, the interesting thing about that is mm -hmm. uh, I think it was like over, liked over a thousand times. Yeah. I think it was. Um, and the interesting thing, thing about that is I, I have noticed over the last year or two, mm -hmm. and I think it's because as Bitcoin grows, yeah. it's reaching more people. Sure. And therefore, it's going to reach more people from the left, the right, this, every, yeah. everything, and they're going to come into Bitcoin. Right. And those people who, you know, some people, uh, their, their political ideology might change. They might become disinterested in politics. Right. Or, or perhaps some people who were previously on the left will move to the right. But there are people from the left who are have a growing interest in this. And I think it's, this is something that I've been trying to help people recognize and say, look, this is going to grow. We right. shouldn't see these people as the enemy. We should right. see them as people we can engage with and right. talk to them about it. But have you found it? Yeah, it's I just a, found it. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh. yeah, there's some very good progressives coming to Bitcoin with new and interesting ideas. Next week I'm interviewing someone writing a Bitcoin book for progressive. Yeah. I think this is important work. So look at that. I mean, 1,090 likes. Yeah, so I have 1,000 uh, friends out there. Yeah, for 1,000 yeah. friends. Great. Out there. Some quote tweets. 1,091. Go on the quote tweets, Dennis, see if anyone is a dick. <laughs> Oh, I, they were because the screenshot that was sent to me included the very first. Uh, you know, <laughs> Progressive is a sugar-coated word yeah. for communist. The dude yeah. is a poser like Nick Carter. Yeah. Bitcoin is literally the antithesis of every left-wing ideology. <laughs> Bitcoin and progressive movement are mutually exclusive. Is Bitcoin about to go woke? Sounds very progressive to me. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Clown <laughs> and a dick. <laughs> All Bitcoin work. Oh, no, what's that? All Bitcoin work is. It's important to work friends and enemies. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, the quote tweets, but that's typical. But I think if you go into sure. some of the comments, some of the comments were good and people are welcome to that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I and I think that the point you make is right. Um, is that for many years Bitcoin has existed with this very close-knit, very homogenous group of people who all agreed with each other. And um, I'm not even saying that's wrong. Like I think that it probably in order to survive some of the attacks that um, that Bitcoin has undergone, like it needed to have that solidarity. 
Um, and so these libertarians who are fighting for the death for Bitcoin to make sure that it's, it exists and it's the way that they want it uh, is really helpful. But the umbrella is growing. And so if you think that you're going to be existing in the year 2030, thinking like, oh, yeah, like the government shouldn't exist. And like, you know, if you, anybody who thinks that there should be a government is like too far left, uh, you're not going to have a good time, right? Like you're not going to exist in the Bitcoin space um, being able to make the same arguments that you were able to in, you know, 2014. It's you might not, be able to make the argument that it'll be smaller because that, that, that is a more realistic outcome, I think. Uh, sure. Yeah. And, and you know, and there's lots of things that might still match up, but you're not going to reach the people, you're not going to reach the same audience, right? There's a lot of people who are coming into Bitcoin. And that's, I mean, for me, that's the point, right? Like, it, it can't just stay this small group. If we want it to actually achieve the things we hope it achieves, then it has to be a bigger group and it has to be a wider discussion. And so, um, you know, I'm not trying to replace any of the ideology or the political viewpoints of anybody who's come before me. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that there's there's a lot of new people who will be coming into Bitcoin in the next five, 10 years who need a resource and who need to feel welcomed into the community. And that's what I'm trying to do. And to be honest, that one comment that really kind of irked me there is that uh, where he said Bitcoin is uh, antithetical to left-wing ideology. And I yeah. think that, uh, the reason that I have a problem with that is uh, the way I see it, both conservatives and progressives are actually collectivists. Yeah. Uh, and I think anyone who denies that needs to look at the stimulus checks that Donald Trump was writing and look mm -hmm. at uh, that even under a Republican government, you will yeah. pay tax and under that it will be redistributed. Right. Yes, it's a different area on the spectrum. Sure, yeah, yeah. But um, but I find that a, a, a difficult comment and also difficult because, you know, if you, you, have to, you can't say it, you can't use it as a broad brush against the entire progressive ideology, but you can look at certain issues like wealth inequality. Yeah. Well, Bitcoin's good for wealth inequality. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, we hope, right? Yeah. Well, we hope, yeah. yeah but yeah. but, but if, if it is, and, and it does, and it should do, it should because um, we, knew, we'd, <laughs> we know with access to the money printer, the rich get richer, we have that widening right. wealth gap. So we would hope under Bitcoin it, it does uh, lead to a, a more equal society, not not in a Marxist way, but in a, in a just a fair monetary well, system. But but I think what that person has missed that that's just one argument. There's plenty of arguments. Right, I'm writing a whole book about it. A you whole know, book, like, man. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, wealth inequality is something that um, that absolutely Bitcoiners care about, um, and or mention, and and as as a, like a staple argument, um, and it is absolutely something that progressives care about, um, and and there's lots of other examples too, uh, where like you know, Bitcoin has the potential to help uh, with these progressive ideas, but it's not. You know, in order for that to be successful, it doesn't mean that like all of the libertarian or conservative ideas have to be wrong, right? I, I think that there's a lot in Bitcoin that might take like the best of, you know, from one side and the best of the other. Um, and I'm just focusing on on my side, right? My viewpoint and the people that I'm talking to who have a hurdle that they have to get over and making them try to feel like there, there's really a reason why I need to learn about this and that it helps the world. And that um, if I'm involved with it, then I can have a voice and I can have sort of a presence in the community. And why do you think for progressives that that Bitcoin isn't an, like an immediate uh, answer for them? Why do you think some progressives struggle with it to begin with? What do you think it yeah. is about it? Elizabeth Warren? Well, she, Senator, I, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, and, and that's, I mean, I, I'm being flipped, but it's, it's really that um, they haven't gotten a lot of information that's accurate or really explores through a progressive lens, what are the benefits of Bitcoin? And so um, if your first exposure to Bitcoin, well, everybody's first exposure to Bitcoin is to just, you know, they, they've heard about it and it's just some silly thing, right? 
if your second exposure to Bitcoin is, hey, it's a silly thing and it's also ruining the environment and it's just for, you know, rich people to get richer or something like that and, and all of these untruths that are out there, um, then you're just going to have a hesitance, right? And, I, you know, I can speak for myself that, um, you know, like when I first started to, to think seriously about Bitcoin, like it was a very uh, open and closed case. It's for criminals, it's bad for the environment. And I can tell you from my own personal experience as a progressive person who cares about the environment, just being able to say that Bitcoin is bad for the environment flooded me with all of these happy brain chemicals because I got the guy across the table from me like, ah, what are you going to do now, right? Like it's, a, it's open and closed case. And then you start to realize it's, it's actually much more difficult and much more intricate and there's a lot of layers to it and you have to dive deep. You can't just rely on these tropes of like, okay, I'm on the left. So anything that's bad for the environment, I'm just going to hate, whether or not it's true, whether or not I looked into it myself. And, you know, similar things happen on the left. But, like, I can tell you when I said that to, to the other person across the table, like, I felt very proud of myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, but that, that's where people are right now, you know, on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, and, and for me, it's one of the most fascinating things that's happened over this last year or two is how that that narrative is starting to change for Bitcoin with regards to the environment. Mm. When we we can avoid the, I mean, I think I, I always think that first starting point with bad for the environment is relative. How relative this is in terms of percentage and the mm. arguments for you know, Bitcoin versus gold and what gold has done to the environment, and then yeah. you know energy uses for things like tumble dryers and Christmas lights. Sure, like you can get into sure. all of that. But one of the, yeah. the more fascinating things is. The advancement of mining, not only to integrate with the grid, mm -hmm. which we've seen uh, most recently with ERCOT, and I'm not sure how that will be possible with other grids around the world, but it is an interesting thing. But the couple of shows we've made recently, um, particularly the show we made uh, recently with Adam Wright, who's looking to put uh, miners on landfill sites to yeah, turn methane into yeah. Bitcoin. I mean, yeah. you actually have an argument to say, actually, no, here, we can give you an example where Bitcoin is good for the environment. Right. And, you know, I, I view it um, in sort of a three or four step process, right? Step one is any liberal or progressive that I talk to who says that Bitcoin is wasting energy or it's using too much, they don't even say using too much. They say it's wasting energy. It's because they don't understand the value proposition of Bitcoin, right? And so first and foremost, um, you have to understand why it's important to be able to have an honest discussion about the energy use. Um, and you know, just as a thought experiment, right? Like if you say tomorrow we can, you know, just as a, a thought experiment, we can cure cancer, but it uses a lot of energy. Well, what's the next thing? Yeah, let's cure cancer, but let, let's think about how can we make that energy better? Like how can we make it more efficient? How can we make it more green, right? And so if you can take a look at Bitcoin and say, okay, well, it actually has a very positive social um, component. It actually helps make the world. It, the value proposition is worth the energy it's using. Then you go on to the next question, which is, how can I make it as efficient as possible? And are there incentives built into it to make it efficient? And we know that there are. And how can I make it as green and renewable as possible? Because, and, and are there incentives that will you know, lead it down that direction? And then like the fourth step is, well, Bitcoin actually does more than all of that. It provides opportunities to help mitigate some of the other damage that's happening and um, and, and can actually improve the environment or make it more likely that other users of electricity are using green energy because Bitcoin miners have, you know, supplemented the build out of renewable, you know, sources. So now your clothes dryer is running more percentage on, you know, solar or wind or something like that. So it's, it, I think it has to start from what, what's the use case? Why is it important? Because all of us 
You know, I've, I've heard you say in the past, like, oh, I'm, I care about the environment, but I'm a hypocrite. Yeah. And it, the truth is we all are. And um, <laughs> well, if you care about the environment, then you're a hypocrite. But it's, it, that's not a functional like viewpoint, right? It's really more important to think about it as a scale. Mm -hmm. If you care about the environment, like what can you do in your everyday life to make it a little bit better? Um, what can you do in your, in your sphere of influence to make it a little bit better? and um, devote yourself to using energy in a way that is important for things, right? If it's important for you to fly across a country for whatever reason, then you're going to do that. I mean, we got rid of our private jet. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. a good step. You're, yeah. you're inching. <laughs> yeah, we're inching. Yeah, we, yeah, we have yeah. one. We, we used to have one each, me and Danny. But. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, the, that's the progress that we need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we'll come back to energy. Sure. Um, yeah. But what is that starting point then? You know, because essentially it's going to be the starting point of your book. What is what is the value proposition you're trying to get to people? Because yeah. I asked you early on, I was like, what was that kind of like wow orange pilling moment? Yeah. Honestly, one of my biggest wow orange pilling moments happened in the last year. And I've been making the show for five sure. years. Yeah. But we sat down with Jeff Booth in Austin. Danny's going to know what I'm going to talk about. Mm -hmm. And he explained the distortion of money to me. Yes. And how that creates malinvestment mm -hmm. and how that puts people in a position where they don't know how to understand the value of things. Right. And that to me was one of the most important things I've ever heard. D despite the fact I learned how to use Bitcoin to get my mum a cancer treatment, right. despite the fact yeah. I was able to send money from to somebody in Japan who I can connect our bank accounts, all those things have all been important things. But that, that thing for me really stood out is that understanding the distortion of money that you have no control over. Right. And we're seeing that now. Yeah. We're, see we're just seeing this real devastating impact that, mm. that of the distortion of money over the last few years. But what's your starting point? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that there's a one sentence, right? I, course, I do yeah. think that Bitcoin has a potential to make the world more fair and just and equitable and peaceful. Um, and, and so I, I think that um, the, the example you just brought up with the distortion of money is, is an important one. Um, absolutely. If you, you can trace sort of price controls on money, which is what we're dealing with right now, right? Is, is price controls on money and who has access and, and all of that stuff. Of course, it has horribly damaging uh, side effects and sort of knock-on effects to a lot of people in society, especially the most vulnerable people who do not have access to a bank and who, do, I mean, I'm not even talking about internationally, like in America, people who like live in banking deserts where they need to go to, you know, uh, check cashing places and things like that. They just don't have access to the system. And so the value proposition of saying, all right, well, let's not manipulate the money anymore. Let's not manipulate the cost of money. Um, let's not um, sort of build an entire system that's based off of that manipulation. That is a great starting point. And then we can sort of follow that thread, right? Because now what we're going to do is make the world more fair, right? Like you, nobody has necessarily a head start in this new system. Um, and, you know, we can make the world more just and we can actually use uh, Bitcoin uh, for things that we can't use fiat for. All of those things kind of build up into an argument um, that makes it worth it, right? And and say, if we if we take this seriously and we learn about it and we all sort of work hard to make sure that like the vision of our future that can be better is better, then it's, it's absolutely worth it. Because the other option is to just sort of like, you know, what, use the system we've got until it crumbles, you know, <laughs> and, and like everybody's, you know, well, fairness is, a, fairness is a, an interesting word as well because we know policymakers have, whether they believe or not, have tried to make the world fair. And there's often that debate about uh, equal opportunity yeah. or 
equitable outcomes. Now, I sure. think generally speaking, equitable outcomes are, are ones that most people disagree with. But equal opportunity, there is fair argument to say, how do we create equal opportunity? But the world is not a fair place. I mean, no. you know, we, we are born into different geographies, different parents, we have different access. But the great thing about the fairness of this protocol is when you talk about fairness, what we're talking about is a single set of rules that everyone has to play by. Right. And no one can manipulate those rules. Right. So it doesn't matter whether you're the left or the right. It's something very hard to argue against because if you're arguing against it, you're basically arguing to create a set of rules to either benefit you or other people, right? Which is bullshit. It kind of is, right? Yeah. And then, that, like, as an American, like this has been going on for fifty years, right? And I've benefited from it in ways that I don't even know, right? So, um, you know, as an American citizen who has had an opportunity to work really hard uh, to go from, you know, essentially like working poor you know, levels of poverty to having, you know, a, a successful career and a happy life, like. Part of that is because of the U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency, and that gives America a lot of benefits. And, you know, as somebody in my position, I benefited from that. You know, I don't know that my next jump is, well, taxation is, you know, theft, right? Like, I'm, I'm benefiting from the system, and a lot of people are. Well, a lot of people are benefiting a lot more than me. Um, and there's people who are struggling, right? And so a, a more fair system is absolutely important. And, of course, there's a lot of people who will get, you know, I... I you know, get onto a, a Bitcoin interview and they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm really for equal opportunity, but not equal outcomes. And it just seems so like, you know, well, it's what a tautology, you know, but, you know, not pe people aren't equal. I get that. But like, we're so far away from equal opportunity. Like, it's not even funny. You know, it's, it's like people are really just being suppressed. And it depends on, you know, uh, your gender, your race, your sexuality, all of those things that like people are going to like, you know, kill me on Twitter for even mentioning. Like, Don't check the YouTube comments. I, I will not. <laughs> Fuck this you know, guy. But that's important. That's an important lens through which to look at that. There's a lot of people right now who don't have equal opportunity. So like that conversation is almost hollow in the sense of, well, yeah, anybody, it, it's not a very brave opinion at all. I'm for equal opportunity. We're so far away from that in the system. It's, it's, it's actually... Um, you know, horrible. Um, so if, if I can sort of latch on to a system that I think moves us in the right direction, then, you know, I'm going to be all for that. And is there a particular framework that you've, you, you, you've put around uh, progressive ideas and attached Bitcoin to to try and tell this? Yeah, so um, I'll just maybe I'll just mention um, the structure of the book. I mean, there's, there's 10 chapters in the book and seven of them are... Um, you know, content specific. This is how Bitcoin helps um, in this specific category, right? Right. Um, and and there's three chapters that are you know introduction, um, but also an introduction like what is Bitcoin, right? Like why is Bitcoin important? Um, and it's not a um, it, it's meant to be a zero to one resource, right? So mm -hmm. if you really haven't thought about dip, uh, Bitcoin deeply. Uh, then you read through the first couple of chapters of this book, then you'll have a, a general sense of how it works um, and and what are the potential benefits from it. And then we go into detail about each one of the, you know, the different sort of categories of how Bitcoin helps. So the, the book as it exists, um, or as it will exist, is meant to be something you can hand to somebody who has just heard about Bitcoin but doesn't know anything else and probably has, you know, your coworker, your family, your friend who has some progressive-leaning politics and they'll a, get to know more about Bitcoin from a technical, not technical, but like from how it works and why. And then specifically, this is how it helps or this is how it could help. 
And, uh, and by the way, we need your voice in the system to actually make it help people, right? So, I'm looking at the chapter list here. And yeah. what, what I find is quite interesting is that you've gone for why Bitcoin is good for the environment before the untold cost of the US dollar hegemony. Yeah. yeah. Hegemony? Did I get that correct? <laughs> uh, and the reason I think that's really interesting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take a stab in the dark here. Sure. That this is the biggest complaint that you've potentially dealt with, so you're dealing with it first. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's the thing. And in fact, in my interviews with people um, about the book, um, I've just stopped asking them what's the biggest, um, what's the most crippling piece of FUD out there, because we all know that right now it's it's an energy argument. Um, so I've just started asking them what's the second most. <laughs> what is the second yeah. most? Uh, well, in, in here, everybody has different answers, right? Yeah. So it could just be that the, the perception that Bitcoin is useless and that it's just a tool to get rich people richer or something like that would be, you know, or um, that it's just... Um, it's just made up money and it doesn't really exist and, and those kinds of things, right? So there isn't like a uniform second place FUD that attacks like the progressive angle. Just deal it with is, the environment. It is the environment. And and for sure that resonates with people's, you know, their hearts and their minds. Um, and if you just scratch the surface, then Elizabeth Warren's points that, okay, yeah, it's using a lot of energy and um, it's useless and therefore we should stop it. Um, so digging deeper into it is just, here's the thing. It takes work, and, there, and it's a complicated series of arguments to say, why is Bitcoin okay using the energy it uses, and why is it going to make the environment better, and why is it helping? That's not easy. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest one, right? And that's probably why it's the biggest piece of FUD right now. And it takes work. And there's a lot of Bitcoiners out there who are doing that work and are, are actually engaged in that conversation. And there's a whole lot of Bitcoiners right now who are just like, yeah, I don't care about the environment. And it doesn't matter. And all of this stuff is just made up. And climate change isn't real. And you're not going to get to the 60 to 70% of Americans who believe that climate, you know, who believe all the scientists to say climate change is real and man-made and it's affecting us. Uh, you're not going to reach those people if you're taking this you know, I'll, I'll say they're probably taking a principled standpoint. They believe that. Um, but in my mind, as somebody who's trying to do this work, it seems lazy, right? I'm just not going to worry about that thing that 70% of people really care about a lot. Um, because, I'm, you know, I have my node running and I don't care about anything else. Um, my, my viewpoint is just different. I'm going to actually try to reach those people. And it's going to be you know, th- those are going to be difficult, intricate, complicated conversations. I think the environment one is the the most difficult and intricate one, and I've definitely had a, an evolving uh, opinion myself yeah. uh, as somebody who has made those claims about the environment. I, I mean, I completely agree with you with the the science. Uh, I, I agree with the scientific consensus. Yeah. I also uh, can see, you know, the UK is about to have its first ever uh, day over forty degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what 106 i think it was 104 104 fahrenheit Holy that's the uk right yeah um yeah. you know we don't usually get above 30 sure you know i can see that as well yeah. uh and i've read about the impact this has on agriculture in parts of the world right uh but i've also fully recognized there's been a lot of predictions that have been wrong as well and uh and i also recognize that curtailing the use of fossil fuels has an implication and we have to consider that the, yeah, the, the, it's, yeah. it's like it's a big, complicated picture, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to trying to wrestle with it and understand it. We, we're seeing uh, problems with the energy grid in Germany at the moment because right. you know, they you know, decommissioned all their nuclear power stations, and they've 
uh, push for wind and solar, and that's cause issues. Right, so right. It is a complicated well, issue. Let me let me just push back a little bit because okay. the idea that like there's been a lot of models who are, that were wrong. Well, right? the, the, <laughs> sorry, I see some predictions. No, the models themselves. I mean, I found yeah. they found an article that actually the majority of the models have actually been correct, and right. there was an article we found that they're so good they didn't one win a Nobel Peace Prize or something. <laughs> I can't that remember that. Now. Yeah, the, yeah, have a Google that. Look yeah. at uh, climate <laughs> models. A Nobel Prize, I'm sure it will come up. Yeah. But but there's been predictions that haven't been helpful. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not an expert on every prediction, but I just think that there's a, there is a very um, uniform and consistent set of like models that predict what we expect the atmosphere to, you know, all of that stuff. So I, I think that it's, it's, What's happening is that scientists, um, by the very nature, offer, you know, like confidence intervals and like a percent of error and all that stuff. And that's just used against them. Yeah. They're just trying to be as accurate as possible. And it's not as if people are like, oh, well, it doesn't make sense to say, okay, we think that the environment, you know, the atmosphere is going to increase by, you know, 0.8 degrees and it turns out to be 0.6 or something. It's not wrong. You know, I, it's I just, think, no, I, I, it's more the ideas. I mean, there was a, there's various things that have been uh, uh, shared around recently, but there's you know, predict some predictions to do with um, countries being underwater at certain periods of time. And things. there yeah, have been some predictions yeah. that have been flat out wrong and that have come from places like the UN. And and by the way, I'm on your side, yeah, but, yeah, but, of course. but I'm trying to recognize that as well. Did you sure. find, find it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, this one. Yeah, work on Earth's climate and other complex system earns Nobel Prize in physics. Yeah, so that's not the article I was thinking of, but uh, yeah. I think, I think it's probably the same one. I think it's from uh, sort of some models from the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, what's your view yeah. on nuclear? I mean, I, I again, this is the other the other thing that you mentioned that I wanted to respond to, which is, you know, it, moving away from fossil fuels is not like a snap your fingers thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know any reasonable people who are claiming that we should just get rid of fossil fuels immediately because that is going to cause a lot of damage. I think that responsible nuclear is absolutely the way we have to go, right? Maybe. If we need like a baseload supply of energy and we have intermittent renewables, I mean, if you can do it in a safe and, you know, uh, not harmful way, then absolutely, I don't see necessarily, and I could be, my mind can be changed away, away from that. Um, but so I'm not against nuclear uh, necessarily. And I'm not, and I don't, I don't know, like I hear this argument sometimes, well, if we just stop using fossil fuels and everybody will, you know, like it would be damaging to everybody. Nobody's saying to just get rid of fossil fuels immediately. Just get rid of them as quickly as is prudent, right? Without starving people to death or, you know what I mean? Like it's not. Well, I think one of the difficulties is, is some, some energy grids have been moving towards more renewables mm-hmm. uh, at the cost of using fossil fuels. But without having, but at the same time, there's been the decommissioning of nuclear plants. Or it's just, I mean, I've, I've been going down the nuclear rabbit hole. We're going to try and get somebody on with this. I was listening to Mark Andreessen on Rogan, and they were talking about nuclear. Yeah. But it can be ten to fifteen years to to build yeah. a nuclear plant, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of that feels like regulation and yeah, yeah the sure. other. But I, I mean, yeah. I'm more interested, just like if you you, yeah. you agree with and I agree with the rest. Yeah, of the I do, nuclear. and and I think I just I also have faith in in the like humans to figure this out uh, in the fullness of time you know yeah. I, I think that we'll we'll get there all of the incentives are in place to to make progress um there's been through the years through the decades a lot of pushback against renewable energy for lots of reasons um but you see the the sentiments changing right and i think that that's um all of that bodes well for the future and and hopefully we can do it um as quickly as possible um 
but I, I think we'll figure out all those details. I really do. And have you tested your this chapter against people, the arguments? Yeah. And and what range of success have you had? Um, mostly just astonishment that there's more to it, right? Yeah. That that the idea that just because you're using energy doesn't mean you know human beings use energy uh, to live in a civilized uh, you know society, um, and that. Um, thinking more clearly about the incentive structures within Bitcoin to to have efficient machines, so inefficient machines get unplugged, um, and to support the um, uh, the building out of renewables uh, is just something people do not think about that at all. So, like when I broach this topic with people, like just everyday no coiners, you know, um, they they just sort of walk away like, oh wow, like I never even thought about that, right? And that's just a, a door opened that was closed before. Um, and they're not in that moment, you know, full Bitcoin maximalist. They're just thinking about it in a different way. And so it's just, that's just one more touch point. And if that, yeah. once that door opens, that means you can then advance to the next point oh, yeah. and start talking to oh, them. Oh yeah, and, and I love it, and I love it. <laughs> so what's your next thing? So if you, it's, imagine I'm one of your friends, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. you, Bitcoin's killing the environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you explain to me, it's like, it's good to the environment. I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. Where do you go next? Sure, well, it depends on the person, right? And this is kind of how I started talking to you today, yeah. which is like, that's what I really care about is to, if, I, if anybody who I've orange-pilled right now or have talked to about Bitcoin is somebody that I know and I know what they care about or I know what they really, you know, so um, I tried the environment thing with uh, the, the person who sits at my office next to me. Did not fly at all. She, she was too far down the Elizabeth Warren Twitter feed, right? Okay. Didn't work. Um, the minute I mentioned that like Bitcoin provides an opportunity for somebody, you know, a woman in Afghanistan to like get rid of the financial uh, patriarchy and to actually have some economic freedom, uh, that's that resonated, right? So it, it, it's a different argument for different people, and I just um, have found uh, it exhilarating and difficult and like challenging to find what's the argument that's going to work for this person sitting in front of me. So once you've get, got her on the financial patriarchy in mm-hmm. Afghanistan, then she might be a little bit more open to the, with regards to the environment. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Right. Because now there's a use case, right. And going back to my original point, like if there's no use case, right. I mean, this is literally the sentence that, that she said to me, right. Like how dare you boil our oceans for fake money? And it's like, <laughs> you know, you can't laugh, right? But mm-hmm. you have to just sort of patiently explain all of the details. But if you find that one thing where it works, right? okay, now there's a use case. This is actually useful and important. Um, then you can have those more meaningful conversations about the other things that are a little bit more sticky. Did you ever think about, perhaps in the book, do you remember when, we, I, don't, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I think I'm your age. I'm 42. I'm 43. Okay, so yeah, you, yeah. you will have had it. Remember when you were kids and you had those books and you get to the second page just like, Choose your own adventure. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Are you them. gonna are you gonna take the sword or yeah, kill the snake? Yeah, and you yeah. kill the snake, go to that page. Do yeah. you even consider like opening saying allow people to choose their opening? Like what do you care most about? That's I mean, I, I do think that the book is being written in a way that each chapter is sort of self um uh, self-contained. Okay. Um not completely, because there's overlap in some of these issues. But um if um, the ideally you sit down and you'll read the book from start to finish, right? If you don't do that, you can skip to the chapter that you personally care about. And That's in right. it will be arguments that have worked for me to convince, you know, progressive people in the past. So, well, yeah. either way in the book, after, uh, the environment section, you, you do go for the, the dollar hegemony. Yeah. Hegemony? Hegemony. <laughs> I can't say Hegemony. 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 Yeah. Yes. You do go for that. Why, why did you go for that next? Um, I think that there's a lot of, um, 
appreciation for the fact among progressive people that um, that the United States' role in international affairs and in finance in particular um, and the way we comport ourselves internationally is not right. And I, and I think that, um, and again, like a lot of these other things, I think that they know that that system is not, um, is not fair, is not good, and they haven't necessarily had the vocabulary to assign anything to it. Right. Oh, well, we're going around the world and we're being the world's policemen and um, we can manipulate um, trade, you know, agreements and all of these things. So that's all wrapped into it. Um, but to really understand, like, the history of, of how we got to that point and why um, is something that really resonates with progressive people because they understand that, like, well, you know, the United States is going around and we're essentially an empire right now. And we're, we have all of this influence all over the world. And um, to understand, like, how we got to that point, it's, a lot of that's ill-gotten, you know? And, and sure, it's, it's benefited Americans. Um, but I, I do think that there's plenty of progressive people who view that as um, something that shouldn't be. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to go through chapter by chapter. That's because fine. Whatever uh, you want to do. Well, no, because <laughs> I, I, I think what will come out of this, other people are going to want to talk to you. And I, I, yeah. I want to leave some scope for you to talk about uh, other section, uh, other sure. section, other people. But is yeah. there any other particular of the chapters that really stood out to you that you really enjoyed working on? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the idea of of Bitcoin helping you know uh, poor and marginalized communities is something that a is is profoundly true or has a potential to really be true, and um, and speaks to progressives in a really you know, it, it will go after what they care about. Um, and I think that, again, this is, you know, the financial patriarchy in Afghanistan, but this is, you know, um, understanding um, the financial system in America and how uh, there have been groups of people um, who through decades and, and centuries have been oppressed and suppressed and not part of the financial system as it exists. This is something that progressive people really care about, right? That what's fascinating to me is that there is a, and this was not known to me until I looked for it. There's a, a absolutely thriving and vibrant black community in Bitcoin. And it is all centered around um, people who care about Bitcoin and understand that the current system is not serving the black community in lots of ways. And trying to educate, it's all centered in educating, get people started, learn the basics um, as a way to opt out of the system that has been so damaging for so long uh, for this particular community that's been absolutely inspiring to learn that and it's not showing up on my feed right like i go on youtube and i listen to you know i read a book or something like that it's not popping up right i had to look for it um and i'm not part of that community but just talking with people already in preparation for the book like that's been a fascinating fascinating avenue that um it is just not covered for the most part. You have, have, to have you spoken to Isaiah, it's Isaiah Jackson, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Isaiah Jackson. Yeah. I have his book and I haven't talked to him. I have talked to some other uh, leaders in the black uh, community on Bitcoin and um, I would be happy to talk to Isaiah for sure. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll connect you to him because he's great. He, yeah. he's, he's a great guy and uh, he would definitely give up some time for you. Yeah, that would be absolutely helpful, right? I want to. I do want to incorporate and and... What I want to do with the book partially is to showcase and honor the work that people are out there doing, right? I mean, you talk, yeah, I don't know um, how many names I should mention, but 
there's a lot of people out there doing the nitty gritty work. Like, oh, it's easy to say Bitcoin helps people in Africa because they're, you know, they live in oppressive regimes and like this is freedom money. And, and, but there's people actually going to Africa and like teaching people how to use hard wallets. Anita. You know, hard, yeah. I mean, and, and so like that's not easy. Have you spoken to Anita? I have. Yeah. And she, it was an absolutely, Amazing conversation. She's incredible. She we're, is, we're, we're seeing her soon, aren't we? In Bedford, yeah. Yeah, she's coming to um, Bedford. That's great, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, my talk with her was absolutely inspiring because she's not just saying, oh, theoretically, like this might help people, right? Like she's actually rolling up her sleeves and and um, and leveraging the skill set she has to actually make the world a better place, right? And I'll yeah. go back to what I said earlier, which is simply, you, know, you don't get to just plug in your umbral node and then walk away. All right, I've made the world better. Like you actually have to talk to people and get people on board and teach them. So, so how far into the book are you in terms of writing? Yeah. So um, I had a, a very unexpected and sudden influx of talking to the leading voices in Bitcoin, thanks to you. So, yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah. So my uh, calendar, since I spoke to you the very first time, has been essentially filled with uh, preparing and having interviews with people for the book um, and who are absolutely supportive of the idea and, and can see the value in it. Um, I'm the, the entire book is, is um, sectioned out and, um, and plotted out and I'm about halfway done writing it. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling good about the progress. Um, you know, I'm a teacher and I could do um, minimal work on it during the school year this past year. Um, and then the summertime is, you know, we're, we're recording in the summer. So now this is my time to work on it. Have, um, you, have you got a target completion yeah. date? So um, I've, I've recently sort of uh, let my term as, as head of our department expire. And part of the reason was I, w- I wanted to have a little bit more time to focus on this book, wow. right? So the goal is to have it mostly done by the end of the summer and then to, to edit it and to work on it um, and get it typeset and all of that um, by next summer. So the it will be, you know, if everything goes uh, well, it will be out next summer. It'll be in people's hands. And have you got anyone supporting you on reviewing, editing it? Um, I've I've uh, had a couple of suggestions in terms of uh, editing and getting copy editors and, and all of that stuff. Um, and I have you know my close buddies who are going to be looking at it, make sure I don't make a, a fool out of myself. Well, it's quite the undertaking to write a book for the first time. It absolutely is, um, and it's um, and it has been. And, and I'm committed to doing the best job that I can. Um, and, you know, I, I said this to somebody the other day. When I wake up, I think about this book before I think about breakfast. And it's just something I'm passionate about. Um, and so this is, you know, um, you know, sometimes I just get into a tunnel, right? And it's like, oh, it's dinner time, right? Like, are you kidding? It's been 10 minutes. No, it's been six hours. You know? And are you planning to narrate an audio version? Yeah, I, I think that... I'll. Um, the vast majority of my Bitcoin education has been audio versions, and yeah. uh, it, it has to has to exist in that form too. And so, what do you hope comes out of this? Yeah, um, I, I think that the biggest possible answer is that this is um, this might be the first book like it, but not the last, or not the last project. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily well equipped to be the voice for the progressive movement within Bitcoin. I don't think that I am, but I think I am a voice. And I think that if nothing else, I hope that this book will um, give people sort of a green light to produce whatever work uh, they think they think will help. So um, I would be thrilled if this book gave uh, people sort of a, an open door towards contributing in their own way about sort of becoming a more uh, active voice in the Bitcoin community uh, from a progressive lens. So um, ultimately, you know, I just want the word to get out. 
And, and if there's people who can do it better or alongside me, then I'd be all for it. Yeah. And is there anything I've not asked you about or you wish you'd have brought up in this yeah, you want people to hear? Almost everything. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it's been a great conversation. I think that that's a really, um, you know, I don't, we don't need to shoehorn anything else in. There's, um, uh, I'm excited about the book and spreading the word um, to an audience that is not plugged into Bitcoin, right? Uh, right now. I think that the target audience for this is the the 40% of Americans right now who um, consider themselves progressive or liberal leaning. And um, they just need to learn about Bitcoin and they need to know it's okay. Um, because um, right now, either they don't think anything about it or they think it's wrong or they think it's a Republican thing or something like that. Um, and so just my hope is that I reach as many of those people as possible. Well, listen, you have our 100% full backing. Uh, yeah. When the show goes out, the Kickstarter will be ready. Yes. We will be the first people to, uh, <laughs> to support your Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll buy a bunch of the books uh, and get that out there. Yeah. Um, anything you need, you reach out to me. We'll help yeah. connect you with people. And we'd love Thank to you. have you back on the show when the book's ready. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think there'll be a bigger part of the story to tell. Sure. What I'll be interested to see is what this means for you. I mean, I've, I've watched, I mean, you, you know, my friend Troy Cross. Yeah. Uh, ever since he's uh, come out and started doing interviews, like his life's changed. He's working on other things. There is right. a potential that this has a... Uh, a, a meaningful change to your life. You come to conferences, you yeah. become a guest on other podcasts, you right. become part of panels. That That is a potential for that to happen. And yeah. it'll be interesting to follow that. But you have our full support. You can yeah. reach out to Danny anytime and ask him for anything, me, yeah. anything. And yeah, we back you, everything you're doing. Well, you know, I, I know that's there's no guarantees, but um, I'm aware of that potential. Um, and my boss probably isn't listening to this, but I, I do have my sabbatical request uh, like written up. So Are you ready? if I need to take a year off uh, to, to, to write myself and to make sure I do this project right, then I will. But um, yeah, I appreciate your support. It's already been phenomenal to, to be here talking with you and to for the connections that you've helped me make and for the connections of those people to help me make to more people. So it's been absolutely, um, it, it's the last few weeks of my life have been um something i never expected so well, thank you it's all learned you, you you made that decision to put yourself out in the arena and do this so yeah. uh you only need to look to yourself for that i did write one other thing down i wrote book sure. two and I, I i in my head i was thinking <laughs> maybe you'll write the uh the bitcoin book for teenagers oh it, it, that's not a bad idea like so originally my they my, won't fucking read it <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, I'll make it like a, a 20 second video, right? And they'll watch that. A TikTok um, dance. Yeah. But, you know, like I, I think that what I write in the book, which is like, you know, simply that the Bitcoin itself isn't, you know, one way or the other. It's not progressive and it's not, you know, conservative, but the culture is. And the hope by writing this book is that the next one can be like the, the apolitical case for Bitcoin. Because I think that's the, that's the message, right? Yes. And we're not there yet because what we have is half of the people not feeling welcomed into the space. So once we have that, then the next book can be the apolitical case for Bitcoin. Happy to write a book about teenagers. They're just a delight, you know? <laughs> have you got one? Um, I have, oh, I have almost. So uh, thank you for reminding me. I would not be allowed home if I didn't mention uh, I have an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. Right. And um, we have a Australian, a mini Australian shepherd at home. Um, and uh, the dog's name is Toshi. 
named after Satoshi. Nice. And so, uh, you know, my kids are both like, make sure you mention, make sure you mention Toshi. Or uh -huh. You know, so I, I did. <laughs> I've got the other, I've got, I've got 18 and 12. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and all different challenges. But, right, uh, right. but listen, look, all the best for this. I Thank love you very what much. you're doing here. Yep, yep. Uh, and you have my full support. And like yes. I say, I think we need this. We have a lot of very good speakers on mm -hmm. uh, libertarian ideas, which have yeah. totally changed me. I, I, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm a different person because of them and sure. also US conservatives who are and again yes. they've really helped me and influenced me. Yeah. I now feel like this is needed and and I'm I'm glad you're the guy doing it and I yeah. I look forward to to reading the book and Thank you. Yeah, good luck. So, um I'll just I'm going to link yes. you'll link the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Um I'll have it linked on my Twitter. So, if, I mean, I can just um, What is your Twitter? Yep, it's C Jason Mayer, M A I E R. Okay. Um and uh, I'll have a link there, but um I'll be also pushing out ideas from the book as we go and, and sort of that's a good uh, way to be in touch with sort of the progress and, and my thinking about things. And we'll share it out and we'll okay. make sure everyone sees it. Yeah. Okay. Good Thank luck, you. man. Awesome. Thank you, Peter. All right. Hope you got to the end. I hope you listened to all of that. If you did, thank you for listening to what Bitcoin did. And I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jason. He won't be the last progressive I will be talking to. I'm going to be opening the show up to more. I, I think we should have a range of people. There's plenty of libertarians and anarchists and right-wing people who've been on the show, we're going to get more left-wing people on. As I said in the intro, Bitcoin is a tool for everyone, and we should be supporting this. We want to get progressives out there supporting Bitcoin and defeating the FUD that comes from idiots like Elizabeth Warren. Anyway, if you've got any questions about the show, please feel free to drop me an email. It is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I do reply to anyone. And also, keep your fingers crossed this weekend as Rail Bedford is playing away at Buckingham Athletic, and we do want another win. All right, have a great day, and I will see you all soon.